Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. Happy New Year to you all out there. We've made it to 2024, or at least we hope we have, and uh, this evening doesn't go too badly. Uh, wishing you all the best, all the peace and prosperity, and some of the things that Sandy forgot to bring you, uh, that maybe maybe you will get them over the course of the next 12 months. All I wanted was a general election, but I might have to wait. I still think a spring general election is on the cards But in the meantime, if you like what we do, if you want to help us keep going, if you're one of the thousands of people who are listening to us, please help us keep the show on the road. The only way we survive is if you put your hand in your pocket and join us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise The link is in the top of the podcast you're about to listen to. We've no ads. We've no sponsors. We rely entirely on you to pay it forward and keep it free for everyone. Just because the podcast is free doesn't mean it has no value. I hope you've seen that in 2023, that our little platform, the accidental platform that the Tortoise created a space that we amplified voices and stories that you didn't hear elsewhere, and then also helped get those voices onto bigger platforms, because we are the bottom rung of the Irish media ladder, and there's no harm in that, And because someone has to be doing that work, someone has to be doing that activism, and this is the easiest bit of activism you can do. Join us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise It'll only take you a couple of minutes, and I promise you, you'll get a ton of extras for it. Access to our entire back catalogue of now over 1,500 podcasts in one consolidated feed. You get lots of exclusives, and they all come out plea-free, so you don't have to listen to this intro every time you hit the play button. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise It would make all the difference to us. Thanks again. Now enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and thankfully I get to fly solo. Every Christmas I give myself a little present. I do. I've, I've always indulged myself. Uh, you might recall last year, listeners, that I had David Gillick, the uh, Olympic silver medalist, the world, sorry, European silver medalist, and uh, all-around athlete who I completely um, am in awe of for, for all of his achievements, both as a, as a broadcaster now and on the track. Uh, and I mean... Incredible, like 400 meter sprinter, unbelievable, unbelievable guy. And my Christmas present to me last year was that conversation with him, and you guys had to sit through it. This year, um, what you don't know is I've selected uh, a couple of people I wanted, and unfortunately, Aaron Dahi Roy was not available. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, lo and behold, my favorite cork person in the world, uh, outside of my other half, uh, outside of my other half, is Mr. Tyg Hickey. And Tyg is back on the podcast for the first time, I'd say, probably in about 18 months. But Tyg, things have changed. Things have moved on. A lot has changed. But it is nonetheless great to see your smiling face again. How are you keeping, pal? And by the way, happy Christmas to me. It's Tyg Hickey in a bow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what I want every year. That's actually <laughs> what I just some me time. Great to see you, buddy. Always a pleasure. No, um, I. It's been as I said. We've we've had we've known each other now for a few years, and we've seen I've seen the evolution of Tyg Hickey's um, uh, the. The, the persona, the online persona, the man who has become a, a comedian, an activist, a satirist is is one of the biggest things about it. An actor, a musician. Uh, I keep telling you to stop singing, but you won't listen. Um, how have you felt that that has impacted over on you because you've tried to marry that with your politics? How has your evolution as an artist um, worked over the last while for you? Like, without trying to make myself out to be a hero, I suppose what I always go to in my mind before I do anything is like, am I being honest? You know, um, not because I'm a naturally honest person, because I'm actually naturally a dishonest person. Um, and we might get into that. Like my my addiction was definitely fueled by dishonesty and delusion and all, all that kind of stuff. Because like most, well, I speak for myself. As uh, an alcoholic and as somebody who got into a lot of trouble and caused a lot of people in my family and my friends a lot of hassle, um, lying was a big part of that. You know, you have to lie to survive. You just simply can't keep going unless you're going to lie to everyone and you kind of get lost in your own lies. I would have lied to you and then I would have lied to that guy and I'm like, which lie did I tell when I'd meet you? So that's why I'd feel so anxious, you know. So if I'd bump into you downtown and I was still drinking... I'd be very likely to have insulted you anyway the last time that I met you, but I'd also have told you lies as to where I was when we were supposed to have done something, <laughs> Do you know? So so when I got sober, I just thought to myself, 
you know, I got to be very honest now in, in the work that I do. And so when it came to doing comedy, um, I had done some stuff with RT in early sobriety and when I was drinking. And I wouldn't say that that work was dishonest, like that would be a ludicrous thing to say. But it wasn't quite the type of comedy that I would hang my hat on. You know, there was this distance between the things that I would enjoy and then the, the kind of stuff that I thought I should make in order for RT to give me a pat on the bottom and give me more money. Um, and so when I got sober and just before lockdown, I think something in my mind just kind of closed that gap. And I just thought, look, just do what you want to do. You're not making much money anyway. Um, you, you might as well be authentic. It just feels better for me. And then I started doing these sketches um, that were like about the British Empire and about loyalism and stuff that I didn't, I honestly would never have thought, oh, that's my ticket to success, you know, because mm. <laughs> like nobody previously had made a big success out of loyalist sketches about <laughs> the absurd position that loyalism finds itself in post-Brexit. But then they did well, those sketches did well, and a show I did about my alcoholism did very well and had a had an international outlet to it as well. So, but I not not so much because of the topics, but because I think I was very honest. Um, and again, I reiterate that's not because I'm a great guy. It's because I kind of have to be honest to survive, really, because dishonesty was making me sicker and sicker. So, if I was talking to a kid coming through named Tig and he was eighteen or nineteen, I'd say as soon as you stop drinking, because you need to stop drinking first of all, because you can't get out of bed or you can't leave the pub or you can't leave the party until you stop using substances. But when you go to do your work, then just do what you want to do. Do exactly what you want to do, actually. And once you're not hurting people, like once you're not hurting minorities, do exactly what you want to do. I think um, it's a really interesting and um, fascinating insight into that that fact that you still continue to call yourself as a person who's naturally dishonest because you you knew that when you were living the lie um, of 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 that uh, spider web of lies that you're trying to tell people, you know, and then you're trying to, well, where, where did I tell him I was and, and how much information have I given that X person and what, what information do I need to divulge here in order, let's be honest, to keep the house of cards. Um, exactly. So when you then decide, uh, I'm going to own it, I'm going to go through this, I'm going to be completely honest about it. You didn't just uh, you didn't just say, well, actually, you know what, I'm going to do a program, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You bloody wrote a bloody play about it <laughs> and you decided you'd put it out and to give you your flowers, as they say, it's been a, it's been a huge success. Yeah. Again, I think, you know, like around the time I was messing around with an idea for that show, there was a few people who would be in positions of authority in Cork, let's say, as you know, Cork is a little fiefdom. And um, there would have been people in Cork that would have been like, I'm I'm not sure that's a good idea. Because I had had some commercial success with my troupe, which was an excellent troupe. And Laura O'Mani and Dominic McHale are superb creators and performers. And we had a troupe together and we often made really strong sketches. They just wouldn't necessarily have been digging as deep into the the guts of my horrific <laughs> tableau tableau of nonsense and self-loathing um so i just wanted to go deeper man i just wanted to go deeper and i thought that would be better off on my own and yeah so like i wrote the show and i got a friend of mine to direct it and i gave him 500 quid and he's he's brilliant like but that's as much as i could afford to get him because i think i got a grant off the cork city council for a grand or something and we went and did the show in the workman's in dublin um, and it's a tiny room. I think you can get maybe 25 in there comfortably or 30 maybe. And uh, there was no set. We we made up the lights on the day. and But all that just felt very authentic. And it felt very like this kind of strange man in a house, which exa- is exactly what the show was about. And it was ostensibly about my drinking, but it was also really about the fantasy life of the drunk, which I'm obsessed with. And it's it's funny, actually, because I'm kind of working on something else at the moment. And I've got a ver I've got a few little obsessions and rather than fighting against it, I think I'm just going to keep going. You know, like I don't think I'll ever end up writing something about a farmer in the Faroe Islands. Like I just understand a few things well, I think, and I think I'm just going to keep hammering them. You know, because because like the, the the kind of um, can I can I bring you back, can I bring you back to the workman's for a moment when mm-hmm. you finish there and you. We're stepping off stage. It's you. It's the director. It's there's no real set. How did you feel in that little moment? In those last those ninety minutes between 
finishing up and and leaving how did you did you did you did, did something change for you there I just loved it like I really loved like again so the dishonest me and that's not to say by the way your friend and my friend Sharon Lambert comes to mind here because you know when you're a traumatized young person you you're dishonest in so far as you create a false self for yourself you know so it's an ego fueled fantasy world it's not like I'm a bad person I just needed a fantasy world to survive but in that fantasy world you want to be like a big success and you want RT to be ringing you up all the time going what's your next show what's your next show so when I probably started off the idea of doing work it was to be a big success and to be Cork's answer to Ricky Gervais but when I did my little show in the Workman's and there's only a few people in but everyone's kind of enjoying it or at least reacting to it like it it, it had something to say to people for sure because I could feel it mm. I didn't have to go up and ask them afterwards I got lovely reviews online but it was more in the room I can feel that there was a kind of collected collective experience for something that I'd written I didn't then feel like okay I gotta hit the road with this and ultimately end up on Broadway that was it was a good in itself that was very satisfying to me and actually I had trepidation about bringing it outside of that intimate space because I knew I created something in that small little space that had something to say and really like without getting pretentious about it I was at Damien Dempsey show in the Abbey last year and he said or was actually probably started this year he said you know that it was a big deal for him to consider himself an artist and I know exactly what he's talking about there it's like this working class chip on the shoulder kind of going like if I was walking through where I grew up and said, I'm actually an artist, they, they just go like, what? Well, you're a piss artist anyway, boy, that's for sure. Well, one, of the first you know, con- so- one of the first conversations we ever had, you made the point to me that when yeah, that you, you would say to people what you're doing and they would say, listen, what are you going to do when the comedy hobby doesn't work out? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, That was the... And like- like- you know the people that would say that to me though some of them would be in RTE like <laughs> like I, I think I told you this before I was doing a sitcom at RTE and I was interviewed by RTE about doing a sitcom for RTE and they asked me what I did for a living <laughs> 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 it's but like uh, you know uh, uh, Tony how many podcasts have you got on the platform 16 Six, 16 podcasts yeah so what so what do you do in the meantime fuck off yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, no but I, I do remember that conversation that we had because you know when you if you put stand up comedian or you put um, artist it wasn't taken seriously yeah and there still is that um that like you know like i i'll give you a real personal example you will you only hear it when you're as clued in as as someone who is as she is thin-skinned as i am Uh, but you'd hear it now i point it out because they will say to you you know you'll be listening to the irish times and they'll say something they'll say in the meantime, uh, the mainstream media, along with podcasting, and podcasting's always added, yeah. a, added as and yeah, podcasting. Yeah, 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 and you're yeah. going, well, hang on, you have a podcast, you're on a podcast, you're saying it yeah. on a podcast, so therefore, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's part of the legacy media now, you know. And it, but you, yeah. you, you very much had that um, push against you, but um, here's the here's the rub: Ireland is tiny, um, and you're trying to get a message out there. So the topics you covered, whether it be the British Empire, whether it be loyalism, whether it be, you know, um, who who actually fought in World War II and the likes of this, um, they have much more international appeal. Was that intentional that you that you knew that that, that was the case or was that just where you felt you were going, where, where it ended up going? I'm telling you, Tony, it came from honesty again. So it came from being in lockdown. The first sketch I did, I think that got an international audience was when I, I yeah I did um the British Empire but it's a, a school reunion in Cork yeah. and that's me in lockdown sitting down at home myself and Dom like looking at the four walls trying to keep each other sane in <laughs> lockdown and I'm like do you know what would be a good idea and he's like oh yeah I'll shoot it for you and it I did it because that's the stuff that I read like you know I've been reading those types of books since I was in since I was in school, really, and I've always been interested in empire and colonialism stuff. What happened in lockdown actually was like, do you know all the stuff that I'm reading and like watching YouTube videos on? Mm. There could be some connection be- between that and the comedy that I do. Like I never saw that link before. I saw because I'm a bit of a compartmentalizer, you know. So yeah. it's like, oh, comedy's over here, and it's this thing, and then like I'll do this in my spare time, and I'll read books about like some Indian scholar or whatever who's written about the uh, about the British Empire, and then that video came out. 
and I, I had thousands of new followers on Twitter and the, at least half of them were Indian. Mm. So like that was, and I loved that then I have to say, because you know, the way in this part of the world, we constantly think that unless you're a big deal in Britain and America, you're not actually famous because brown and black people, well, that doesn't really count. Like you could be a big deal in Egypt and people would be like, oh yeah, but has he really cracked it in London? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Was, wasn't, so. the, wasn't the joke that Johnny Logan was bigger in Germany and, and no one really cared, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, like, I think uh, he's massive in Turkey as yeah, well. Which it, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Johnny, Lo- jo- like. Johnny Logan has two number ones in Turkey this year and you're going, yeah, but you know, what's he doing on? Well, haven't seen him on top of the pops, like, you know? Exactly, like, yeah. But, but, but that's also, that's indicative yet again of, of where... Um, part of your politics that mindset of what what has been traditionally called the non-aligned countries you know the non-aligned yeah. and and you've kind of you know that's your you've been reading about this stuff as you said we've we've had conversations about uh some of the philosophers we like you know some of the things that we the teachings that we we we've we've li- le- listened to learned and i tried mm-hmm. to take on board but that still doesn't equate into um <sighs> Sorry, if you sat down in front of me and said, Tony, you used to be a, a qualified financial advisor. Here's my plan. And you handed it to me and you said, and by the way, this is what how I'm going to make a career, make a living. I'd have just shuffled the cards and said to you, listen, would you not get a shot on Fair City with Rory Cowan? <laughs> well, I was, I was blown out. I got a call back right, for Fair City at one point, but I was blown out ultimately. It must be this loathsome accent. Um <laughs> But uh, but no, yeah, I suppose I obviously need to pay my way and I've got two kids and I'm not an idiot and I need to make money and stuff. But um, I did just try and follow my nose a little bit. And I, I know that I'm probably pretty good at writing sketches and hopefully to expand it into longer form stuff, which is kind of where I'm at now and have been at on and off for a long time. I don't see the sketches as a thing in themselves. But if I if I could bring the knowledge in and then also importantly, make sure that I do my research and defer to people who know more about it. Like I'm very willing to, you know, because when you're a one man uh, band, sometimes you you kind of go into things without maybe the research done um, in an in-depth way. And then you put the thing out and you're slaughtered and you feel completely alone. There's no kind of framework or there's no network or whatever. But I suppose like I felt like I was good at sketches and I was reasonably good at researching. If I put those two things together, I can make something strong. And if you can make something strong that didn't exist beforehand, eventually you'll get paid uh, reasonably well for it, I think. And that might be a kind of a, a dreamer kind of a mentality, but slowly but surely that managed to happen. And to go back to what you said at the start as well, though, like I do writing, I occasionally get asked to do straight acting roles. Um, I do live stand up, I do sketches and I do some music. I uh, do a lot of voiceover stuff. If you cobble all that together, I'm able to pay my my rent um quite well. And I'm not like doing unbelievably well or anything, but I'm able to make a living off the things that I enjoy doing. So that's the reason why I do lots of things. Um, you know, I do lots of things to try and cobble together enough things that I'm able to kind of pay my way. And I'm interested in lots of things as well. But like if I just did acting, for instance, or if I just did stand up comedy, and I did nothing online or whatever, I don't think I would be able to make a living. And then I would have to answer the question, unfortunately, those irritating questions um, in the negative and say, actually, no, I don't do this full time. I'm actually a carpenter by day. Uh, Emmett Kirwan always refers to the, the, the that kind of inevitable 90 day window where you go, uh, now, now, I, now it's time to get out of this. You know, and and I mean, and he's like, he's had films made, he's had plays, and and, and he's still a great example, actually, of that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 like, I like, God, you know, you know, I admire his work so much, yet he knows in his he well, there's that 90 day window where you have to say to yourself, Do I actually now have to go and go into something that's not creative, not not doing that? He's He's another example of a, I think he's a difficult artist as well for, for establishment Ireland to get their head round. So he's going to suffer even more. So he's an artist, but he's also not going to toe the line. So, you know, he, he gives, I would say one of the most articulate, um, interviews I've ever seen on Irish television. And I wouldn't say that to, to blow smoke. I, you know, it genuinely was a really powerful piece and I know you, you really love it as well. Um, and then to the best of my knowledge, and I'm open to correction here, he was never invited on the Lele <laughs> show again. So he, he gives an absolutely iconic take on Irish society and the, the prevailing government that we have. 
and he's never invited on again. So I think that's very Irish as well. I mean, not to make it all about me, but like I've um I've had a few interviews in far flung flung places in the last month or two. Oh yeah, and I just thought it was worth mentioning that like I nothing like in Ireland. <laughs> no one in Ireland has. I've had two or three articles actually um have mentioned me by name uh, in in an attempt to traduce me for my stance on Palestine. Um. Uh, there's we'll, been a couple we'll, of articles we'll, we'll, in the examiner. We'll, we'll, and we'll get to that briefly, but I just want to I want to make a make a point on the so similar to M- Emmett's situation. Um, the work he did then became uh, there was a commentary on on say socioeconomic differences on you know his play accents. If you ever get an opportunity to see yeah. it, uh, was, yeah, it's just superb and and very much uh, talks about it for the class consciousness. Uh, and and you and you're quite right to point out then you know uh, as kind of underloved and undervalued because of you know he went viral when he discussed this with Ryan Tuberty uh, yeah. in a way that Ryan Tuberty didn't know how to react and got a round of applause from the audience. But similar to you in in this way then um, because some of the critiques of you this year now and I'm going to be completely honest with you as you've seen them online I'm sure is he went off to Doha he did jo- yeah. he did George he did George Galloway. Uh, and um, and he and he keeps it keeps going on about that um, that conflict in Gaza. Would he not just get back and stick to the uh, stick to the old um, uh, comedy? Now, I will say, can I can I can I can I make a point on the Doha thing before? And this is my absolutely. Um, I re- I recall when Al Jazeera used to be on Channel Five One Four on Sky, and then they got rid of it. I used to I used to watch Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera situated in Doha. Um, I also had Nicholas McGeehan on this podcast several times who campaigned against sports washing and against what was happening in terms of Qatar. I didn't feel conflicted about that. I didn't feel conflicted about, you know, watching Al Jazeera and then still yeah. still feeling that sports washing should be called out. Uh, so that's my own, before anybody jumps on me and says, well, but Tony, no. And and I'm sure Nicholas McGeehan, who actually listens to this podcast, will say, yeah, I get it, Tony. I absolutely get it. But from your point of view, in terms of Doha, in terms of George Galloway, who's a controversial figure in his own right, and, you know, controversy is part of his brand. How do you feel about that? those aspects of, of your year? Like... On the Doha one, again, I'm not an idiot and I know there's human rights issues that you or I could never, you know, in good conscience say we're, we're happy with that and we endorse every action from the Qatari regi- regime. Like, so that's that's a, a given. I also think that no country has got a perfect human rights record. So, like, if somebody wants to go to bat on a, a US versus Qatar human rights record ac- across the decades or the centuries... Like that would be a, a, an interesting conversation and a debate I'd be willing to have. Like when the invitation came in, it's from the Al Jazeera Institute and they bring you over and you're at the table where we had like one particular day where you're talking amongst, there's a few creators for sure, but most people in the room are actually journalists and most of them are Palestinian. And there's a conversation for the day about how best as creators we can kind of move forward, hopefully feel protected by each other, but amplify Palestinian issues and Palestinian voices. I also met, I would say, I mean, I'm plucking a figure out of my my ass, but like, because I was at this Qatar debate thing and I met people afterwards. I honestly met over 100 Palestinians, I'd say. And they all said the same thing. No Arab country is perfect in this conflict um, in, in terms of its relationship to Palestine and the way that it kind of, you know, it's it's connections to Israel or a concern for 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 everyone. But they said if it wasn't for Qatar in this particular phase of this assault on Gaza, they wouldn't know what they do. They feel like they've been given a voice through Qatar, and they also feel like they've played a major role in actually negotiating any of these humanitarian pauses that the US is taking credit for. Is it perfect? No. Do all of them say it's perfect? No. But I was left with a choice of like Al Jazeera which I've been watching for about the last 20 years of my life and about the last 10 years when I don't watch any other news service. And that's genuine, genuinely the case because like, like even RT would just, it just does nothing for my blood pressure that's no. any good for a long time now. So I would rather be at the table for it being a work thing where I could make, hopefully make some small, tiny little difference about a subject that I'm passionate about my whole life, not just since October the 7th and I decided to go and I would understand that some people even look at the climate crisis aspect 
would be pissed off about it. But putting the climate crisis stuff aside, the only thing I will I will say, and it's something that I I wrestle with now, because I spoke to Bashar Murad, who was a Palestinian in, mm-hmm. in East Jerusalem, an, an amazing <laughs> man. The God, the guy's a brilliant, a brilliant pop pop star in my mind. Um, but he talks about it as a member of the LGBTQ community of being, you yeah. know, that 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 his struggle for freedom is still something that doesn't stop with uh, uh, with the struggle for the lifting of the blockade. You know, th- th- does that enter your, your, your consciousness when you're thinking about these things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I'm open to like one or two people, one or two Palestinians privately beforehand. I, I had a word with them about it. And from the Palestinian perspective, I felt like amongst my friends in Cork and Dublin, I suppose, really said, you know what? Overall, I think it's great. You go there and you represent some of the Palestinians here um, and you you have a voice at the table. And overall, looking at the pros and cons, I thought it was was overall an okay decision for me to go. Does that mean that it negates all the cons or that I'm suddenly now homophobic and, you know, for human rights abuses and I'm part of the Qatari um, propaganda regime? No, it doesn't. And I think if I, if I if I could say something on that, actually, I think that's all that's wrong with the the modern discourse on all these issues that like if you do say go to Qatar, then you are necessarily part of this kind of nexus of of power that 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 starts in Tehran. <laughs> and it's a, you know what I mean? Like it's like you're now suddenly I, I, I'm going to bring it to listeners for a very small example. I have friends. They've been on this podcast who couldn't. With their conscience, they couldn't vote for repeal. And many of them have kind of disappeared from public life because of yeah. stands like that. And that is the situation. Good example. And yeah. it's just a way of, I felt, because, but still, I disagreed with them vehemently. I disagreed with them on air. I, I talked to them about it, but this was their, this was their decision when it, when it came out. And now this is how it, how it, um, how it operates in terms of that 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 cycle um, of of you know the idea of that well acceptable like Luke Ming Flanagan talks about it really well. He talked about the acceptable opposition and the unacceptable opposition when he talks yeah. about how often you know th- those faces can feature. And someone maybe did something that we de- decided was a car- broke a cardinal rule. Therefore, they were now for they were now unacceptable even within the realms of the acceptable opposition. If that makes sense, it's, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I find so so. Yes, um, would I continue to? Will will we continue to highlight what is going on in terms of members of the LGBTQ community? Of course, we will. Um, would I would I would I ask you to continue to do that? Yes, I will. I will I'll always like to you know. I know you long enough to know that 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 you're 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 not just act an activist in one area. Um, yeah, but. It also then, um, the problem becomes then is for you, the problem becomes is, as I said, when you're compartmentalized, even as you said, you like to yeah. compartmentalize. So yeah. what do you think that means in terms of just in terms of the, the, the scope of the work that you're working on into 2024? Is that now, is that now the prism that it's viewed in certain areas? Has that changed? I don't care. Like, I kind of don't care what people think. You know what I mean? It's like, what, whatever, um, whatever I've done so far, I haven't really spent too much time thinking about what people will think on Twitter, you know, because I think the people that know me and that care about me know that my overall intentions are generally good. And again, not because I'm a good person, but because I have to have good intentions. Otherwise, I'll start drinking again and I'll probably take my own life. And that's not being melodramatic. It's just like I've chosen a recovery path. And now that doesn't mean that I'm not going to get things wrong. You know, like I could look back in six months time and I talk to enough people and say, overall, I think you probably shouldn't have gone to Qatar. And here are the reasons why I'm constantly learning. Like I'm a comedian. I don't have all the answers. But overall, when I talk to people, you know, about going and mostly Palestinians, because I try to talk, you know, if you're going over there and loosely the topic is Palestine, you got to talk to Palestinians. You don't talk to white lads on Twitter. Um, so the Palestinians in my life were like, man, go fucking go, like get over there. Um, that's the way I kind of, I would judge something. I want want to make one quick point on that. It's, it's, it's so funny because you've probably seen me rail against the media here because, and I have the screenshots, October 7th happens. I was asleep, um, in my mother-in-law's house in Cork and Mahmoud Mushtaha 
wakes me with a WhatsApp yeah. to tell me what has happened. I got up. I I I recorded a podcast with Mahmoud. I said, and I literally said, "Fuck, thousands are going to die." That's what I said. Yeah. And and I text every editor and producer that I knew in Ireland. I said, "I can connect you with Palestinian people on the ground in I've Gaza." Seen your, I've seen your tweets. Yeah. And literally beyond, I I can. I can count on two hands the people who ignored me and on on on, <laughs> on a couple of fingers the people who actually gave a shit and tried. And and it I, you know to the point where if someone one 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 platform actually made the comment we'd prefer an Irish voice is there an Irish angle you know and it, you know so you get that type of stuff and you see it all the time God. and I know full well as someone and you know this Ty, because we've spoken you kindly joined us on a podcast with Hannah Salah a couple of years ago um, when you were doing some of your first sketches yeah. on Palestine. And my friend Hannah, um, you know, opened up the world of other people that, we, that we've known and we've platformed on, yeah. on this podcast. But, but you've also then taken that to a whole other level whereby Blind Boy makes the joke that, um, that's not a joke, it's a fact, that he may not be the biggest Irish podcast, but he's the biggest Irish podcaster. Because, but that's, you know, because, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. like, I'm gonna, I tell listeners straight, the echo chamber is going to do about 1.6, 1.7 million downloads for all of 2023. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Put that in context, put that in context, though. Blind Boy can do 1.2 in an episode. Okay, so he so wow. so so he can so as he said, the night he went on to the late late and all the Donalds got upset because this guy with a bag was on. The Late Late has a smaller audience than his podcast does. Way smaller. Yeah. The Late Late can do nothing for Blind Boy like, and, <laughs> I, and can't do nothing for him for a long time. I, like, you know? This is my point being is <laughs> I have to, so in the context of where, where, uh, what we do, but what I've seen you do, and I, I recall, and the guys, forgive me this cheeky little dig at him. He said, my granny once said to me that before I ever pass away, I want my, <laughs> I want, I want my tie to have more followers on Twitter than Finna Fall. <laughs> <laughs> that's me that's me kind of running out of ideas for content hey, hey it worked <laughs> <laughs> yeah it did, it did yeah. Gotcha. but can I, Go on. can I say one last thing on what you because you just mentioned the Irish press there and I, I just want to contextualize what I said earlier in case it sounds like a kind of an ego driven solo run yeah I wasn't saying like I don't get enough press in Ireland I was kind of saying using it as an example that there's a sanitized version of what's acceptable and what's not in Ireland. And we laud the people who become sec- successful in what I would describe as a kind of a centrist comedy area where it's safe to kind of say, you know, you know, he's a good guy. He does podcasts with members of Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. And if you don't go down that road, like you're not really kind of welcomed into the circle of trust, you know. So I just thought it's remarkable that like some of the stuff that I've done has been featured in like Turkey and you know, Iran and actually not Iran, sorry. <laughs> Iran's on the brain because I'm actually being funded by Iran at the moment on Twitter, apparently. Um, but that like no one in Ireland has done anything other than traduce my position, which I think, again, speaks to the kind of establishment uh, Ireland, which is very, very tentative about things like Palestine, which is, in my opinion, is ludicrous. Like. But, but you, your voice, your, your, your comedy, your, your shows, your sold out comedy shows, they had to come to the table. They had to come to the table. And like the long running joke was, you know, my, my long running feud with the Irish Times is over. My long running feud with it. this was, <laughs> this was, but, but the line was, was testament to that idea of if you remain, as you said, 25 minutes ago, authentic, that if you build that audience, they, even if they, even if they're choosing to look, look away when this is going on over there, eventually they have to look over their shoulder and maybe, and maybe say, well, actually, maybe we have to talk to this guy because yeah. there was, there is reluctance there. And, you know, let's, let's, I'll give a real example. Um, that we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Paddy Cosgraves tweets that, that caused all the consternation over Web Summit. Saw him, saw him resign as CEO. We see now Paddy has made a moves to, to actually take legal action against people who led the campaign against him to do this sort of stuff. There were more, there were more articles about Paddy Cosgrave and his tweets in the Irish Times to a ratio of 18 to 1 to dead journalists in Gaza. Which is absolutely horrific absolutely horrific and i'd like to just add to it to say you know in a reasonable world if paddy cosgrave wasn't such a pariah (laughs) for not being an establishment guy right he would have presumably had the support 
of the Irish media to look after a, a, a huge Irish success story, an entrepreneurial success story, who is being targeted by the Zionist propaganda machine for having the audacity to say, I would like there not to be war crimes on either side. That's what he said. Like, that's effectively what he said. And I, ju I just thought it was very revealing that, as you say, there was a giddy rush to condemn him and to try and get him cancelled by his own country, by his own country's press. And I think that's a actually that's a way better example than any example I can pull from my own experience. But I think that's perfectly sums up where the Irish media is, you know. Um, but to go back to what you were saying earlier, yeah, the, the sketches have allowed me to gain an audience outside of Ireland and like primarily, primarily my audience is outside of Ireland. Um, and that's great because it's good to obviously have an audience that you can potentially tour to down the road. But it also is wonderful to go back to what I was saying earlier about like the, the colonial mindset we have here is if you're not like a success in Ireland initially, then you crack Britain and then you go to America. The kind of, you know, the, the kind of cl the colonial route, like if you don't do that, then um, you're not really successful. And I would love to be like doing shows in Turkey. Mm. I'd love that, like, you know, to be touring around, to have so many um, Arab followers say it's so refreshing for somebody from the West to say the stuff that we kind of say to each other all the time, which is that like they still treat us like they're they occupy us and that we're not really human beings. We're we're it's not just Palestinians that are being dehumanized. Um, it's across the Arab world and the global south, as you know. Oh, absolutely. Latin America, South America, and, and many of these countries are still suffering from this. And as I said, they refer to them derogatorily as the, as the non-aligned countries. Turns out there's more of them than there are of us, folks. Turns, <laughs> yeah, yeah. turns out they're getting organized. And turns out they're not fucking happy with us over the last couple of hundred years. <laughs> so, no, you no. Know, like uh, you talk about... Like I spoke to a guy in Colombia a couple of weeks ago, and the, he was he wasn't he wasn't happy that Petro was hard enough on 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 some of the stuff he said. And I'm going, my God, if I had Petro as my as my as my president, I'd run through brick walls for him at this stage. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Can I can we take a a, a turn and um of and I want to I'm going to go there and and discuss that. Like I've referenced it a couple of times on the podcast over the last couple of months since things have happened in Gaza and since events have happened and how I've struggled personally with my own um, mental health, how I've been working to try and some days and feeling like I didn't, I, I didn't want to get out of bed. Some, some days I'm feeling that I'm really, you know, um, completely useless. Like, you know, what's the point in it all? Why why are you doing this? It's not making any difference. It's not going to um it's not changing anything. You're you're putting all of this here and you're 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 burnt out. You're absolutely wondering why <laughs> why you're continuing in this. And I and I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say that there was any sort of suicidal ideation, but I will say there was a complete and utter um, felt felt absolutely hopeless and useless, and and still working through it as as I said. And I want to let listeners know that Tiger's been very kind and spoken about his own experiences of depression and for and working through these things. Not only has he been very kind, but he reached out to me and had a conversation with me, and he shared um, some some things that we were to try to, to try and help. And Tiger, it meant the world to me that day. And I think uh, you know I. I Again, listeners, I, I shed a few tears and the man was the man was very kind and listened and heard me out. But I didn't want to be again the burden of me then hopefully not pushing that onto you as well. It's it's this kind of, because I know you said earlier you're in recovery still. Recovery is a process. Can I ask you, do you feel like like the, the whole mental health aspect of it? Because you did. It's not so long ago. It's only a short while ago where you had, I'm not going to say the word relapse, but you certainly found yourself in a position where you were burnt out again. Mm. When I brought it up with you, how did it make you feel in terms of those things? Well, first of all, thank you for such lovely words. And anybody who's in recovery will know what I mean when I say that a big part of recovery is being there for other people. You know, that's part of the whole thing. Like if you feel like you're recovered and you're going about your business and you don't need to check in on other people afterwards at all, you've got the whole thing wrong, in my opinion and in my experience. So it is only an honor to be able to, um, to help out people that I think are good people, particularly, you know, and so like that was just a, a pleasure to be able to speak to you and like within the within the alcohol world 
you know, it, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest joy uh, of my life that now that I've got a handle on my drinking that I'm able to help out some younger uh, people who don't have a handle on their drinking and because they feel like their life is over and you're with them in the first couple of weeks at times where they feel like I can't drink anymore now so my life's over and you're able to kind of just show that you know there's a life out there you can get up and you can get dressed and you can go and hang out with people and you don't have to feel anxious in yourself and you don't have to keep thinking about when I'm going to need a drink or it's it's amazing and if I didn't have that I wouldn't have recovery you know so if you're not giving back you don't have recovery but to answer your question um I didn't feel triggered in any way. It made me feel grateful that, you know, without being brutal about it, I didn't feel the way that you felt that day. Um, I was on a different part of the line. I, I felt like that a few months ago and I was able to come back into my soul and do the things that I know would probably make me feel better again. And I've come out the other side of it and now I'm able to lend a hand to the guy who's after slipping down temporarily. It's almost like you're all on a kind of a jog together and it's a muddy terrain and someone's after falling into a ditch and you help your body out and you get up and you keep going. You know, it's if you don't think of it as a collective, I think, again, you're, you've gone wrong. And like for me, my my mental illness, I'd be very, very open about saying that, like my mental illness is all founded on meism. The more I'm on my own, the more I'm isolated, the more... Even when I'm doing good, more I think like I'm healing the world, I'm liberating Palestine on my own here now. If I go into that type of thinking, um, I always end up extremely unhappy. And if I go into a kind of a thinking of what can I bring to the table, um, I always feel good. It's mad. And it as I get, there's a phrase in recovery actually about, it goes, um, the road gets narrow as you as you get older and as your recovery progresses. And what they mean by that is things you would have gotten away with before you don't get away with anymore. It just becomes... You know, the, the the right path becomes more and more clear all the time and there is no other there are other option. And actually, that might sound like a bad thing, but it's actually brilliant. So the choices to kind of fuck yourself up uh, get less and less, I think, if you've got good recovery and you keep going. One of my friends refers to the sniper alley. And once you get through sniper alley, there, yeah. there's a little bit of clarity ahead, you know. I know That's that. Nice. Uh, yeah. uh, well, he's got a more militant mind, obviously, but <laughs> but, but but I I can guess who that friend is. <laughs> but, but I but I like you know again, it's always it's very helpful when I talked about my issues to you and 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 was very clear about how you know I had a reaction to certain things. And wanting to to be honest with it, where I knew actually that it would be met with love, and it was, and that was really important in that moment. Um, when you think about your own situation now, there are so many people who who give you shit, but you do feel it does feel to me that you've left that behind and now focus on the people who actually want to lift you up. Because I know again, come back, let's go back to COVID. Let's go back to lockdown. We had the, yeah. we had the haters. We had this sort of polarized, you know, um, uh, open up, let, let everybody do whatever we're doing. All this sort of, all these, all these things, you got it in so many ways, but, but now we're looking, now we're sitting here. I think, have you, have you, when did you, when did it flip for you? Were you able to just say, let it go. I'm going to be Elsa on this. Let it go. <laughs> you're you're bang on. And I don't I don't actually remember when the moment was. It's funny, you know, when you asked that, I'm like, there was no moment. But I think it came through the kind of awareness that, for instance, Twitter, right? Because on Instagram, like I have got more followers and more traction on Instagram. And if I had a negative comment once a week or something, it would be a lot. Like Instagram is an absolute fairyland <laughs> compared to Twitter. Like, I mean, Twitter is always tricky, but now... I I, I, I I have a line for Twitter. You can steal it. Uh, tw uh, Twitter, it's everybody's problematic X. Well, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just ridiculous. But I, I did notice that in the thick of the abuse that there were people calling me uh, effectively like a right wing uh, not and a left wing not at the same time. And then on another occasion, I get this a lot, actually, and it can sometimes come from the same person. They'll say, who is this nobody? <laughs> and then the next comment will be, this guy's being funded by Iran. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like all these things can't be true. So it's just pure uh, boil. And it's usually the reactionary thing we were talking earlier of like, so I did a thing today now criticizing America. So then the, the latest campaign is that I'm being paid by Russia. Um, and that, you know, you if you're not this thing, then you are this other thing. So somewhere along the line, I thought to myself, this is all 
all kind of ridiculous and it's not about me. That's the crucial thing, actually. I remember reading something in Jerry Seinfeld, who I've obviously got mixed opinions about in terms of his Zionism, but he is a masterful comedian. I remember reading early in his career that he used to keep getting into trouble at stand-up gigs because he used to take the the not laughter personally. And then he finally realized, oh my God, it's actually my jokes. I just need to improve my joke. They're not mocking me personally. Most people on Twitter, with the occasion of one or two really creepy people from Cork who have hide their profiles, they don't know me. So they're not criticizing me. They're criticizing the box that they've put me in. Like, So it's part of the ego thing. Again, I think to take it personally, you're putting yourself at the center of it where it's not really about you. You know, if you're pro-Palestine, you're going to get put in a box and it's not my abuse. It's kind of the collective's abuse. The other thing is life is very short. Um, one trick actually is for a long time when I put up a controversial video, I would answer individual comments because I tried to win these little pseudo intellectual bouts you'd get. Um, I realized there's no winning in that. So a lot of time these days now, like, and it was, it's hard to do it because I'm an, I'm an addict by nature and an obsessive person. These days on Twitter, I'll often just like post a video and log out of Twitter, you know, because either it's going to do well or it's not. And the people who are following me on Twitter are mostly there to see content anyway. And um, there's no need to check in with comments. I'm going to get the usual Fine Gael counsellors saying I'm a disgrace and I'll get the usual. But you are a disgrace. You are a disgrace. I know I'm a disgrace. <laughs> and actually I, on that, most of my trolls, if you, if, you, if you do a bit of snooping, there is a connection to a Finnegan oh, counselor. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I, I <laughs> the Venn diagram of people who, who absolutely hate you and I despise me, yeah, it's pretty tight. It, it's a circle, you know. It's um I I find it They're all suddenly Zionists, yeah. like all these Finnegan counselors. After and, and, and very quiet now all of a sudden about um supporting Ukraine since the mood music has, has moved yeah. away from that, which is horrendous to see that I was I pointed it out yesterday in the podcast that we um Joe Biden's language, if anybody's picked up on it, it went from um we're with Ukraine until the end, we're with Ukraine until victory, where you were with Ukraine for as long as it takes to this week, we're Ukraine for as long as we can be. Oh my god, I didn't see yeah. that. That's brilliant. That's actually good. Yeah. That's a really good sketch. <laughs> and that's we're with Ukraine for now. You can, you can you can have that one, and if it comes out, uh, I, I'll get I'll get ten percent of the of the money that you don't get for making them. Actually, yeah. So at the moment, I'm making a three hundred and fifty euro loss a week, so you can have you can have some of it's that. It's mad, isn't it? Like that's the last thing. Monetization, Tyke. It's got to be hard. It's got well, in, 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 like you're feeding the content monster. You're putting it out there and then you're building, as you said, connections and, and opportunities is what you're building. But still, the work has a value. It does. I see I see a route now, though, for sure. So, like, because Twitter has imploded because of that, frick, I've had to completely pivot and make my stuff on Instagram. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not messing you when I say this is how stupid I am. I had a meeting with a young creator called Dara Toomey, who's brilliant, by the way. He doesn't do political stuff yet, but I'm trying to radicalize him. He's very good. He's very active on TikTok and uh, on Instagram particularly. I had a meeting with him saying, how do I do Instagram videos? And I showed him what I was doing. He said, well, the first thing you need to do anyway is put the camera on its side because like, it's all vertical stuff in this one. That's how idiotic I am. But um, I did pivot to, to Instagram and I built up a good following and I do have a a Patreon account that I haven't promoted, I'd say, for about a year. Yep. So what I'm going to do in the new year, it doesn't feel like the right time to do it now because I don't want to, I just genuinely don't want to try and, you know, be like, I need to monetize a genocide. Um, I'll do it in January and with the help of God, things will have died down by then. Who knows? Um, but there is a there is a route to making money from sketches via Patreon, as you know, and like my, my following has built up um, significantly. But to answer your question, and this is the thing that I would rail against a little bit because I've, put my flag on the mast and um, my opportunities for commercial work in Ireland and I would say the UK now at this point and probably America as well are gone so we d we depend on Patreon like there's people in around my numbers on Instagram that are like getting constant paid partnerships like and this may shock you but I haven't been offered <laughs> a single paid <laughs> partnership but, but we're laughing about it but it's the, it is the truth because beca we got to pay the yeah, bills man yeah, you know it, you got to pay it's like it's like um I don't know. Um, I don't know if earlier uh, 
we've been, we've quietly done some e-sims for people in in Gaza not not again not yeah. wanting to you know bang the drum and say how great we are but i need i needed yeah. to raise 282 euro to to purchase e-sims earlier and i and i put an appeal out to our our patrons 16 minutes like 16 minutes and we oh. had them all purchased and and set for 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 people in Gaza so people are inherently great but we, but, but it's a real struggle, as you know, to keep the show on the road. You're, you're, and, and there you are. So, so I, I, accept, I, I think, yeah, absolutely. People should support you, support the work, show that there's a value for it. Because, as we say all the time, it's also activism. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's comedy, it's satire, it's activism, it's politics, it's life, and um, Ireland is quite small. So you, you're, you know, you're coming up against. Uh, if you, if you can't get a show on one of the big two. You can't get a show anywhere. <laughs> no. And that's to go back to the George Galloway thing as well, right? So if all my opportunities, you know, so I said, not not to make myself out to be the Pixies or anything like, but I said, fuck the BBC the other day on Twitter and the, the tweet went viral. So like, as a, f- a friend of mine was saying, well, that's, <laughs> that's the BBC ship gone now as well, you know, because I had some tacit contact with them. Yeah. Um, about this time last year. But the point I'm making is if all your commercial opportunities are gone and I'm not going to get paid partnerships from Starbucks anytime soon, um, then I think we need to be careful on the left to, to have too much of a purity um, test on each other as to who we talk to. So I would disagree with George Galloway on loads of topics. But at the moment, he's got a massive profile and he's an articulate supporter of Palestine. I'm definitely talking to him. Definitely talking to him. You know, because I would... I'm not comparing him to the devil, but I would talk to the devil right now if he would try and end this genocide. That's the way I completely and utterly feel. I would disagree with him on so many things. I do respect his opinion on lots of things. And he was one of the first articulate voices on British television that I ever ever saw who actually understood the North, the North of Ireland. Um, but should we not talk to people that we disagree with? I mean, that's a whole other whole other conversation, but I don't think that's ever the answer with the exception of like all out fucking burning well, well, buses yeah. and anything that ver- verges into incitement we have to back away from yeah, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. I've, I have a piece that I that I, I am hoping to, to, to put out shortly about that idea when someone says you can't say anything anymore and if you ask them why and they say because you know oh now now that's this well that's the, that's actually not the end of the conversation that's just the beginning of the conversation Exactly. That's the start of why we have those conversations. Tyg Hickey, I have taken up so much of your time. I am so grateful to you for for sitting down, having this conversation with me. I'm so grateful for you for being a friend to me over the last while. Um, it meant the world to me. And um, I'm I'm just wary of what we what is it that you guys call it? A, a WIP, a work in progress. We're all a work in progress, and this uh, this this goes for me, and it certainly goes for you because you know, no matter how hard you try, you cannot leave Cork behind. Um, Ty Kiki, I really appreciate your time and thank you for all that you do for everybody who loves the work that you do in terms of comedy, satire, acting, music and of course activism. It really it really makes a difference and it made a difference for this fella here. Mind yourself, take care of yourself and don't put too much pressure on yourself. Talk to you soon folks, take care, bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony Subscribe now on Patreon.